songs that uh, we've sung this, together this morning as a congregation, and then these two songs in special. Um, make me want to just pause. Make me want to pause and just thank the Lord. And if I can, would you do that with me? Let's just pray. I think it'd be totally appropriate to just spend a moment to worship the Lord and give Him thanks. <clears throat> Father, the singing of Your great grace and of Your care for Your own and the accessibility that we have to You through Your Son, Jesus Christ, to think that we have been invite, invited to come boldly before your throne. Sometimes, oh God, it's just overwhelming to think of all that is available to us in Jesus Christ. And then I'm reminded of the words of your servant Paul, who said, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And so, God, do we know that every good and perfect gift that we receive at your hand is ours because of our relationship to you through Jesus Christ. And so we are just, at least I speak for myself, that I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed right now just to pause and think about your grace and your forgiveness and your kindness, your patience, your long-suffering, your purposes that you want to carry out in our lives, your faithfulness, and yes, your loving kindness. Please accept our thanks and bless our time as we continue now to look into the Word. And might you be pleased to bless <clears throat> in a wonderful way. And again, we say thank you and we worship you, O God, and acknowledge your greatness and your goodness and all that you have revealed yourself to be. We say amen. And we thank you in Jesus' name. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. <clears throat> I, I, I don't want to speak as though you're not aware of this, but don't take for granted the kind of uh, special ministry and song that you get. Uh, just like the ladies singing today. And uh, you can hear the music of the world almost anywhere, including most churches. But you can't go just anywhere and hear the kind of ministry and God-honoring music like you just heard here. It's not out there everywhere, I guarantee you. And I, I hope you appreciate it and that you uh, thank the Lord for it. and It stirs your heart as well. I'm sure it does. We're in the book of Matthew <clears throat> in chapter 12 this morning. The book of Matthew in chapter 12. <clears throat> and we're going to begin reading in verse 14 <coughs> and read down through verse number 21. So Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14 through 21. If you don't mind standing for the reading of the word, I'd appreciate that. If you, <coughs> because of physical need, need to remain seated, of course, that's fine. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 14. It's been a joy to 
be with the church these services, and I've been blessed to meet some folks this morning that I perhaps uh, are members of this church that I haven't got to meet before today, and then some uh, first-time guests that are with us as well, got to meet some of them, and we're thankful for that. So my wife and I want to say thank you for the privilege of being a part of the services here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. All right, we're in verse number 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Now, don't, don't just read past that statement. Great multitudes, there's no hyperbole in, the, in uh, this passage. If it said great multitudes, it means exactly that. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. As it says in other places, all that had diseases, it was often so that he healed them all. And so it is stated here. And after he healed them all, charged them, in verse 16, that they should not make him known. A strange-sounding verse, but we're going to deal with that in just a moment. That he should not, they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and his name, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Well, we have prayed and asked God's blessings upon our time together, and we've read the word, and I'll ask you to be seated, and we'll get right into the message this morning. I don't think that there could be any question that Jesus was the most misunderstood misrepresented and misinterpreted man that ever walked the earth. I, I don't think that could be contradicted. It continues to be so today. The most misunderstood, misrepresented, and misinterpreted person and things that he said probably than any man that's ever lived. Now that's in itself sad. But I'll tell you what's sad in our day, and I, I just suggested this the other night, make mention at the beginning now, that in this pluralistic society, which is a mentality that says what you think is right, what I think is right, what I think is right, and they all may totally contradict one another, but we're all right. We live in that kind of society, a hypersensitive society where it's really not politically correct, to say that anybody's wrong, unless it's, of course, their authority comes from the Word of God, then it's okay to attack. I'm not paranoid. I'm just aware of what's taking place in our culture. And that is a reality. 
And what is so sad that there are some people that believe that whatever they want to believe about Jesus Christ, then that is so. And I know this not only by observing our culture as a whole, but I know this also by talking to people, by talking to individuals and trying to give a witness to them about their need of Christ and about the way of salvation according to the Bible and hear them come back with some of the most incredible outlandish claims that they believe about Jesus Christ and actually believe that they are true even though that is contradicted clearly in the Word of God. And yet, they are inclined to believe whatever I believe is good. Whatever you want to believe, unless it's the truth, is good. And whatever they believe, then that's good. And they believe that you can believe whatever you want to about Jesus Christ and somehow it's going to be okay. He will become what you think he is. May I say that that is fundamentally wrong, that is manifestly untrue, that Jesus is who he has revealed himself to be in his word, and nothing more than that, and nothing less than that. He is who and what the word of God reveals him to be. And as a Bible believer, and, and that's what we are primarily, that's what this church is about, and I can tell you that's what I'm about. As a Bible believer, I just don't accept that. I only accept what the Word of God teaches. I will only accept about Jesus what the Bible says about Jesus. This is our authority. This is our sole authority. And we don't really care what any head of any church has said during any time. We don't care what traditions have developed that would contradict the teaching of the Word of God. We don't care what great minds have assembled together to analyze all of these things. And they have analyzed that uh, there are fallacies or misrepresentations and that Jesus was less than what he has been revealed to be here. It really doesn't phase us what everybody says about Jesus Christ. It only concerns us what this book says about Jesus Christ. And I would hope somebody would say amen. As a Bible believer, that's all we're really concerned about. And that being true, <clears throat> what is revealed of Jesus Christ in the passage that is before us is wonderful. I don't know what else to say. It's beautiful. If you were here in the Sunday school hour, we'll go ahead and use that word. It's, it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It is amazing and, and it is such a benefit, such a blessing, a comfort, a help, what the Word of God says and reveals to us about Jesus Christ. Now I confess at the same time I say that, that a part of it is going to sound somewhat strange. It's going to sound somewhat strange or somewhat unusual or maybe out of the norm. But we want to look into the passage and make sure that we understand it because this is the revelation of God and what is here is true about Jesus Christ. Now what does Matthew say is true about Jesus Christ. Now remember, this isn't just the opinion of a man, oh well, this one's name was Matthew. This man was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And what Matthew recorded is the word of the living God. And what Matthew says about Jesus Christ is very significant and very important to understand. Now I want you to notice that in verse number 19, he says this. Now look at it carefully. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. Now that's a strange sounding word, but we're, uh, words, but we're going to talk about that for just a moment. 
If I could get you to understand that beginning in verse number 18, down through verse number 21, we have from Matthew, or actually uh, what Jesus would say, we have from Matthew a prophecy that was made by Isaiah. And what we have is a quote from Isaiah chapter 42 and verses 1 through 3. Now, you don't need to turn there now, but if you don't have a marginal references in your Bible that would take you to Isaiah 42, you might want to jot it down and go consider Isaiah chapter 42 because 800 years or more before Jesus ever came and before he was living the life that he was living in the flesh, according to Matthew's record here, 800 plus years before, a man by the name of Isaiah prophesied of our Savior what we are seeing fulfilled right here on the pages of the Bible. So according to Matthew's words, this is the fulfillment, verse number 17, of the prophecy that was spoken by Isaiah or Isaiah the prophet. And so these words are a direct fulfillment of a prophecy made by Isaiah. Now what did he say? Well, he said that when the Messiah is come, when this Savior is come, the one that is anointed, that would be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, that when he is come, his spirit shall be upon him, and God will show judgment unto him and through him to the Gentiles. Here's what is said about him in verse number 19. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. Now, can I have your attention up here just a moment? This sounds like strange words for some that have casually perhaps read through the Gospels. Now, the reason I say that is because it becomes very evident, as a matter of fact, that in Jesus' public life and ministry, he did lift up his voice. And he did cry in the streets. And he was heard of the people. Oh, somebody says, then there is a contradiction here. No, there's no contradiction. We have to understand what is being said and consider the setting here uh, that is taking place. But let me just remind you of a few verses. And you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to hit them and you can research them out yourself. Luke 8 and verse 8. After Jesus gave the parable of the seed and the sower, then Jesus cried. Now, I did a little definition work on this word cried. And it means just what you think it means. It means to lift up the voice. It actually means to yell. And I know there are those that would not necessarily delight in considering the public life of Jesus that he would actually yell. But that's the testimony of the Word of God that it happened. That after he had sown, uh, told the parable of the seed and the sower, that he lifted up his voice and cried, or he lifted up the voice, he yelled, he proclaimed vehemently. That's the definition of the word cried. And Jesus cried, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, why do you think he lifted up that voice like that if it was not to be heard? He meant to be heard. And so he lifted up his voice and cried. That's what it says. And then John chapter 7 and verse number 28. Jesus cried in the temple as he taught. It means that when Jesus was among those sophisticated Jews that would have assembled at the temple, 
that he was concerned about their misguided thinking. He was concerned about their rejection. And when Jesus was among the people in the temple, he lifted up his voice as he taught them and cried, making sure that he was heard. The volume didn't just have to do with the fact that people must hear it. It had to do with the passion with which he delivered what he said. So he did lift up his voice and cried. That's the testimony of the Word of God. John chapter 7 and verse 37. Jesus lifted up his voice. It would have been in the area of the temple, at the porch of the temple. And Jesus lifted up his voice and he cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And if you can just picture the multitudes of people there. And they are coming, and there's a setting I don't have time to give here, but they are coming, and they are considering the water that is there and how that is supposed to be representative, and they're still stuck in the days of Moses and under the law and now in the traditions of their elders. And Jesus is saying, no, you're looking in the wrong places. If you're thirsty, come unto me and drink. And he lifted up his voice and he cried so that they could hear him. And John 12, 44, the Bible says, Then cried Jesus and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. In other words, Jesus, this is a part of the argument where Jesus is saying, Don't say you believe in my Father if you don't believe in me. Because I came from my Father. And to believe in my Father is to believe in me. And to believe in me is to believe in my Father. Hold it, I and my Father are one. Now you can search that out and it means that he and his father are one. He is God made manifest in the flesh. See, And when Jesus spoke those words, the Bible says he lifted up his voice to proclaim vehemently and he cried saying, He that believeth on me believeth not on me but on my father which sent me. Now those words need to be taken in the whole big context. My point is this very critical truth that people needed to understand was heard by them because he lifted up his voice and cried. And what did we read here? He shall not strive nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. Well, Brother Davison, how are you going to get around this contradiction? I'm not trying to get around a contradiction. Because there's no contradiction here. Because in this particular setting, we have to understand what is taking place. We are reading about the rejection of the officials of Jews. The officials of Israel. I like to call it the officialdom of Israel. And that would have been the Pharisees along with the Sadducees who had a grip on the Jewish nation, who had a grip on the religious life, who had a chokehold upon the people. And one of the things that disturbed them so much about Jesus Christ is they felt themselves losing this grip. And so they tried, to, they tried to hold the people to the traditions that they had been taught and the traditions of the fathers. And they tried to not lose their stranglehold because if you know, look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and seen, had seen how Jesus revealed their true character and their true motive, you would have seen that they are no different than some that are in the political world, that they are not interested in what is best for the people anyway. They are, let, they are most interested in in furthering their own prosperity and their own power and their own might and their own status and their own position. And that was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the officialdom of Israel to the T. Now Jesus is among them. And the multitudes are following them. That's a pain 
to the leaders of the Jews. The multitudes are interested in Jesus Christ. And following this Nazarene, this Jesus from Nazareth, whom they totally rejected. And so our account says that as he healed them all, now excuse me, this wasn't 20 and 21st century stuff where some of these things are staged and then uh, you really can't find the recipients of the healing. You just can't seem to find them anywhere. No, this isn't the 20, 21st century sham stuff. This is Jesus healing their sick among them and they knew it. They were aware of that. I said they knew it. The people knew it. The Jews knew it. The leaders, the officialdom of Israel knew it. And they are saying, oh my, if this keeps up, we're going to lose our stranglehold. We're going to lose our grip. We're going to lose our position. We're going to lose our authority. We're going to lose our power. We're going to lose our traditions that we have established among the Jews. Hold on just a second. They said, what are we going to do? This is how they reasoned among themselves. So verse number 14, the Pharisees went out and held a council against him. How they might destroy him. There's only one thing to do, they said. We must destroy him. Like you could destroy the Son of God. Jesus would say later, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. Somebody say amen, friend. No man had power to take his life from him. He could only lay it down of himself. And his hour was not yet come. And so when they are seeking how they might destroy him, verse number 15, Jesus knew it and withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. So when the disciples, I'm sorry, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, we've got to find a way to stop this, let's uh, take counsel and find a way to destroy him, Jesus slipped away, but so did the multitudes with him. So he healed them all. So rather than their problem being solved, it got bigger. You may not enjoy that, but I do. I just really enjoy that kind of thing. Rather than them solving their problems, it got bigger because now the multitudes are coming and they're still bringing the sick and he is healing all of their sick. Amazing what's taking place. But then would you listen to his words? Jesus charged them in verse number 16 that they should not make him known. In other words, listen to me please, just a second. Jesus is simply saying to them, now don't you go back to your leaders. Don't you go to the officialdom of Israel. And don't you even need to go tell them what is taking place here or what has happened to you. Don't tell them, just be silent about it. Why? Because they have rejected. Because they have refused. And it was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in relation to this incident that his servant that he had chosen would not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. Now it didn't mean that Jesus would never preach which is another word that is very interesting because to preach means to lift up your voice like a herald. It, it means to lift up your voice with a sense of urgency. And so Jesus did preach and Jesus did lift up his voice and Jesus did proclaim what the people needed to hear. But in this particular instant, he said no. They have rejected. 
They have utterly rejected who I am. They have turned their ears and their hearts and their eyes strictly to the traditions of their fathers, in, just like their fathers, in rebellion and unbelief in God, and therefore unbelief in me. And Jesus said, so we're not going to go striving and crying and lifting up our voices. In other words, you are not going to hear Jesus cry out to the officialdom of the Jews and say, you can't do me this way. I am your Messiah. I am the fulfilling of the prophets. This is not fair. You wouldn't hear Jesus doing that. He never did it. Now to the people and to the multitudes, he would lift up his voice and cry. To the officialdom of Israel, he was not going to strive. He was not going to lift up his voice and cry. He was not going to declare the unjust treatment that he was receiving. As a matter of fact, he's just going to be quiet. And that's what the Bible says about Jesus in relation to the officialdom of Israel. Now watch in verse number 19. Again, and I want to show you a principle in verse 19. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. Now, can I have your attention up here? And would you let me give you the principle? The principle is Jesus does not force himself upon those who do not want him. That's the principle that we learned right here. Jesus does not force himself upon those who do not want him. Now, I asked for a show of hands the other night. I'm not going to do that now about how many in this room are saved. And I know that there are numbers in this room that have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And at whatever stage of life you were, you did like I did when I got saved. You might have been an adult. I was a boy, but we got saved the same way. We all had to come to God by faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And the world sure needs to hear that message again. I am the way. There's not another. I am the truth, and whatever contradicts is not truth. I am the life, and outside of Jesus Christ, there is no eternal life. I feel like running that by one more time. It is said by Jesus, I am the way. That means there cannot be another way to heaven. I am the truth. That means that whatever contradicts him is not true. It's a lie. And I am the life. Whatever is outside of me is not eternal life. And so I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I get a little weary of people saying, ah, oh, you can't understand the King James Bible. Well, let's give it a try, shall we? Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, what, is not, uh, what cannot be understood about that? No man comes to God but by Jesus. Well, I've always looked at it this way, preacher. There are many roads to God. There's one God and many roads to God. Now, I've always looked at it that way. Well, you can look at it that way all your entire life. That doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth at all. Yeah, well, my grandpa taught me, well, honey, don't talk about religion and don't talk about politics. And, and uh, there's just one God, and one, uh, but many roads that lead to God and just whatever fits you and whatever's good for you. And there are people that we're supposed to believe that kind of stuff. 
Uh, whatever's good for you, if it works for you. It doesn't matter if it works for me. It doesn't matter if you think it works or doesn't work for you. Here's what the Word of the living God has revealed, and there's only one God, and there's one access to God, and that is by a personal trust in Jesus Christ. And everyone that refuses to come to Jesus Christ will not know a fellowship or communion or a relationship with God, and they will perish ultimately and spend eternity separated from God in hell. Now, that's the message of the Bible in a nutshell. Thumbnail sketch right there. That's the message of the whole Bible. Oh, that sounds so fanatical and radical in this damn time. It's also true. I'm really not interested about the sensitivities of our society and the present day thinking of a society that rejects God. I told you, we're just interested in what the Bible says. And that's the truth. Where Jesus is not wanted, he doesn't force himself. Now, I'll tell you why he saved me. I asked him to. And the other people in this room, you know why they're saved? I guess they're lucky or they got predestinated or something. No, God predestinated to save. He predestinated to save everybody that believes. God predestinated and predetermined to save everyone that will come to him in faith. And trust his son Jesus Christ. He also predestinated that everybody that refuses to believe perish. So, no, the reason that anybody has Christ in their life is because he was welcomed into your life. And where he is not welcomed, he doesn't force himself. We won't turn there, but in the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, I think it's chapter 10, he calls his uh, 70 disciples together, 70 men. He divides them up by two. He sends them out. As he sends them out, he says, Now, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. In other words, this is an unbelieving society. This is an unbelieving people. And there are wolves out here that would destroy you. And I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. But here's what Jesus said. When you enter into a city, as he sent them out to evangelize and tell them that the kingdom of God had come and that he was the Messiah. When he sent them out, he said, here's what you do. You go into your city and you go to a house. And when that house gives peace to you, in other words, when they hear your message and when they receive you, then peace shall be upon them and peace shall be upon that place. But he said, if you go into a city and or a house and they refuse and they reject, you make it a witness against that city that you are shaking the dust off of your feet Meaning, I don't want to be a part of this place because the judgment of God is upon this place. In other words, he said, into the cities where I'm wanted, go. Into the houses that want my peace, then I'll give them my peace. Give it to them. And Jesus also said, into those places that don't, move, uh, don't want me, then witness against them that you have nothing to do with their rejection of me and you move on to the next place. Is everybody getting this? He doesn't go where he's not wanted. And, and if you're sitting here this morning, and I don't know who all's here. I don't know everybody's condition, the condition of your soul. But I'll just say this. If you're here today and you're a skeptic and you're an unbeliever and you've rejected the evidence and you've rejected the filled, filled prophecy, you've rejected the testimony of who Jesus Christ is, you've rejected the testimony of people where Jesus made a difference and came into their life and where he lives within us, and, and you've rejected the revealed word of 
of God and you bought into a philosophy of the world and you bought into a total rejection notion and idea of the things of God, the Bible and the gospel, if you've done that, you can do that, but you need to know. The only reason he isn't in your life and the only reason you don't have eternal life is you didn't want it. I've had guys, I've had people say, well, I don't accept anything but blind faith. What you're doing is asking me to believe this in blind faith. <laughs> blind faith? The evidence of the truth of the Word of God is overwhelming in history. Not only the prophecy that has been fulfilled, but prophecies in the Bible that are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. If we just took the prophecies of the Messiah out of the Old Testament and showed how Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, if we showed how Jesus fulfilled incredible, specific, detailed prophecies with every T crossed and every I dotted, the evidence would stand up in any court of sanity in the whole world. And then somebody says, I don't accept anything by blind faith. Well, why don't you just wear a sign and said, stay clear, I'm full of myself. I am filled with pride. I know more than God's word. Yeah, because that's what it is. Oh, Brother Davison, there are some very, very intelligent, intellectual people that don't even believe there is a God. And they are very intelligent people. Well, that's not how God describes it. Actually, God describes it like this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I don't care what they might know about math and perceived science. I don't care how much of an artist they might be or how intelligent or what their IQ is. That doesn't even matter. God said the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. I'm just going to go ahead and stick with the Word of God. If he's not in your life, it's because you haven't received him. And he won't force himself where he's not wanted. There's not a soul in this room that is saved by faith in Jesus Christ that God made them get saved. They choose to receive him and others choose to reject him. And where he is welcome, he comes in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man shall open, I shall come in and sup with him and he with me. It means we're going to have communion and fellowship together. But I knock at the door. If you don't open, I don't enter. If you open your heart's door, I enter. And you and I have communion and fellowship together. Isn't that wonderful? So if you're here today without Jesus Christ, you say, well, I don't know. I just did that. No, no, no. You, you, you have a decision to make. You have a choice to make. I believe in other religions. I was taught in other religions. I, I know. I understand that. And I understand that there are people from all over the world that have been taught all kinds of things. And I understand, the, I, I understand the effects of unbelief. And I understand the power of the evil one, the one who would blind the minds of them uh, that know not the gospel of Jesus Christ, lest they should come unto him. I know the darkness that is out there. I know the idolatry. I know the vain philosophies and the ideas of men that are contrary to the word of God. But it all still 
boils down to this, that God has made himself known in one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And I've had people say to me, oh, I, hold on just a second. Just, just because I'm not a Christian doesn't mean I don't think Jesus was a good man. I think Jesus was a good, one of the best men in history. And my answer is that, to that is this. Not if he was a liar. Because he didn't claim to be a good man in history. He claimed to be God. Made manifest in the flesh. He claimed equality with the Father, God. Excuse me. If that's not so, he's a deceiver. I think that might eliminate him from being among the good men of the world if, in fact, he was a liar and a deceiver. Can I get some help out here, ladies and gentlemen? If he's not who he claimed to be, then he's an imposter, an actor, a hypocrite, and not a good man. So let's not try to pacify our consciences by saying, oh, well, I don't believe in Jesus as the Savior, the Son of God, as the substitute. The only way that I can get to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ. But please, please, I respect Jesus Christ. Oh, I think he was a wonderful man. I, don't, I think he was more than a wonderful man. He's the God-man. And he's God made manifest in the place. I'm going to repeat again, if he was not what he claimed to be, don't call him a good man. That would have been very deceptive of him to claim to be their savior and to claim to be the Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, which was prophesied of him. And if he's not that, then he's not a good man. Now, if he's in your life, you received him. If he's not in your life, you haven't received him. If you don't receive him, then you'll spend eternity without him. But he doesn't force himself where he's not wanted. There's the second thing. Look down in verse number 20. Oh my goodness, I love this verse. Look in verse 20. A bruised reed shall he not break. A bruised reed shall he not break. Now that's the thing, Brother Sam. I try to read the Bible, and I read something like this. A bruised reed shall he not break. <laughs> well, this isn't over anybody's head. All through the Bible, now would you listen here just a second. All through the Word of God, you'll read about a reed or a bruised reed. You'll read about kings like the pagans, uh, the the pharaohs and the like of the world. And uh, others looked at them and said, oh, they're mighty kings and they're strong. And while everybody else called them strong, God called them a bruised reed. Now, what is a bruised reed anyway? Well, a bruised reed is simply this. And if you've been around, like I could take it to Oklahoma and I could go around farm ponds, we call them. In Texas, they call them tanks. But they're those holes in the ground that have the water where the cattle come and all of that. And I can take these ponds. And in the marshy end of the uh, farm ponds, oftentimes you'll see these, uh, these plants grow up real fast and real tall. And uh, back home we call them cattails. I don't know what the scientific name of them is. Uh, but they are like the reeds that Jesus would have been talking about that in the Holy Land grew up in those watery and marshy places. And they look impressive because they grow fast and they're tall. But if you look at their stock, that it's, it's rather hollow. There's no real substance to it. 
And so while it grows fast and looks tall and looks significant and important, it can easily be broken. And so a bruised reed is one that already has some damage to it. It may still be standing. It may still be alive. But it's not going to take much. And so when God referred to a pagan king as a bruised reed, God says, you may look at him as mighty because of his wealth and because of the size of his army. But when I look at him, God says, I see there's no real substance to him. And I can take him down anytime I want. <laughs> yeah, that's what it amounts to. Uh-huh. And, and my Bible says about Jesus that a bruised reed will he not break. In other words, Jesus is a gentle Savior. See, where he's not wanted, he doesn't force himself in. And those that come to him broken, and those that come to him bruised, and those that come to him already damaged and could easily be destroyed, it's not the purpose of Jesus to destroy them. No. I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what Jesus said. So I didn't come to break you. Somebody says, oh, I've lived so wicked. I've sinned so much. I've done so many wicked and rotten things. I'm, if I did, I'm like a bruised reed. I've already got damage in my life. There's no point in me coming to Jesus. Oh, you mean like the, oh, I know what you mean. You mean like the lady in John 4? that came to the well to draw water and there was Jesus. And Jesus asked her to draw water and she said, now, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. What are you doing asking me to draw water? And Jesus said, if you knew who you was talking to, you'd ask me to give you the living water and I'd give it to you. And he began to teach her that he is the water of life and that if a man drink of him, he'll never thirst again. It'll satisfy. It has an eternal effect. It has eternal life. Yeah. And the woman said, uh, well, uh, she's a little bit confused. Jesus said, well, go into town and get your husband. Oh, boy, I have no husband. Jesus said, I know. You've had five. And the man you now live with is not even your husband. She would have fit in 21st century America just fine. You've had five husbands. And now living with a man that's not your husband. You know what it looks like she was? It's like she had some damage. Isn't that right? It's like she was a damaged woman. Well, if this damaged woman comes to the Holy Son of God, no doubt he'll destroy her. No doubt he'll uh, humiliate her because of her sin and her rebellion. As a matter of fact, when the woman recognized who he was after he told her who he was, she drank of that living water and went into town to tell all the people in the town, come and see a man that told me all that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is everybody with me here? You see, what came to her was a bruised reed. He didn't break her. He didn't crush her. He didn't say you're not fit. As a matter of fact, he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to help the weak and the weary and to make people walk again and see again and able to hear again. I mean, have some spiritual life to them. I mean, Jesus came for this very reason. And he said, a bruised reed, he will not break. I don't know who all's here today. It could be that somebody has come into this room and you say, I've messed up my life royally. I've made so many wrong choices and I've made so many mistakes and I've made so many poor decisions. 
I've got so much damage. I'm going to church because I don't know what else to do. But it's not like I think I'm fit to come to Jesus and that He would do anything for me. Oh, you mean you got some damage in your life? You're just the person that He said, I won't break you. I didn't come to break Bruce Reed's. I came to make them stand up strong again. I came to give them some real substance in their life and some real meaning in their life. I will heal that broken-hearted one and that bruised one. I'm here to tell you, that's Jesus. He did it for that woman that they said. We caught her in the very act of idolatry. The law says that she must be slain. What will you do, Jesus? And what do you say? He wrote in the sand. She was writing in the sand. They all started feeling like the hypocrites they were. When Jesus said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone, and they began to walk away. One by one, they left because they knew they were all guilty. And here's this bruised reed, an adulterous woman right here in his presence. Jesus said, where are thine accusers? She said, there are none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Hold it. He didn't ignore her sin. Go and sin no more. Repentance. Turn from it. You know what he did for that bruised reed? He didn't come to destroy her. He came to save her. And he came to help her. How many of you believe that's about all the stories you can tell out of the Bible? No, they go on and on. And there are testimonies in this room. And there are people who can stand up right now and testify to others that are assembled here. I came to Jesus. And you talk about somebody with damage. You talk about a bruised reed. You talk about somebody whose life was messed up. There are people right here in this room who could say, that was me. And then I would ask them, has Jesus made any difference in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely he's made a difference in my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm not the bruised reed I used to be. He's given me some substance. He's given me a reason to live. And he's given me of his own spirit and his own strength. Yeah. And finally, look in verse 20. And a smoking flax shall he not quench. Is everybody listen? Bear with me now. I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up. I want you to stay with me just a minute. If you don't want him in your life, he won't force himself. If you come to him, no matter the damage, he'll receive you and heal you and save you and help you. And then he said, a smoking flax will he not quench. Now, what is a smoking flax? Well, the flax would have had to do with the substance that went into making the wick of a lamp or a lantern. And you know what, a, what they are? They would have the uh, wick burning and then a top, a transparent top, would shed light in the room. But when the wick was burning bright, everybody could see in the room and everything was fine. That lamp is so helpful. It's shining very brightly, but through the process of time, that wick burns out and it gets down and lower and lower and lower. And the lower it gets, the more spoke, uh, smoke it produces. And the more smoke it produces, the more it clouds the, uh, the covering and, and disables them to see. And so the smoking flax is getting down and getting down and it's losing its purpose and it's hardly shining at all. And it's not shedding the light or accomplishing what it was. It's not being a blessing because it's just about to go out. So what would they do? They would come in and they would trim that flax. They would trim that wick. 
And then they would raise the wick and it would shine bright again. And they would clean the lamp and it would provide light again. And so this process went over and over again. That you trimmed the wick and you raised it. And you, and you cleaned the lamp that was over that light. And you made sure that everybody could see. And it goes on shining. And Jesus said, some of the people that have come to me have been like a smoking flax. It's not like there was no light there, but it's about to smother. It's about to go out. It's not producing what it used to produce. It's not being a blessing to others like it once was. There has been a burning down or a wasting away. And there is now the purpose ceasing to be fulfilled. But Jesus said, if you come to me, I won't put you out. I'll make you shine again. He, he, that's, that's what he said. Man, one of my favorite parts is when Jesus is raised from the dead and his disciples, except for Judas, who's now dead. Well, except for Thomas, who doubted there was any need to assemble with the disciples after Jesus died. Ten of his disciples are assembled in that room with the door closed, barred shut for fear of the Jews, trying to keep the enemy out. Jesus appeared among them. And he said, peace be unto you. Said, Can I have your attention up here? They were all a smoking flax. They had all failed. They all forsook him and fled. Not a one of them remained true. Peter gets all the heat. Thomas is in trouble because he wasn't there. And we all know what to think of Judas. But they all failed. And Jesus comes in and he says, peace be unto you. He says a second time, peace be unto you. Thomas was not there. The next time he came and appeared unto them, Thomas was there. Maybe I better go check this out. Thomas comes and Jesus addresses Thomas. And Thomas was uh, not for sure what all was taking place and very doubtful about a bodily resurrection. And he had confusion like the rest of them did. And Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, I want you to look at these hands and put your hand in my hand and touch that scar and thrust your hand into my side where that spear went into my side and touch that scar. And Thomas looked at Jesus' hand and looked at his side and he said, My Lord and my God. What was Jesus doing there? He was preparing for Thomas to shine again. He was so filled with unbelief that he was nothing more than a smoking flax. But given the opportunity, Jesus will take the smoking flax that's just about snuffed completely out and refire it. Make it shine again. Clean it up and put it to use again. Oh, sure. Maybe you're like me. You love the story about Peter there by the seashore and the disciples are there and Jesus is raised from the dead and he's appeared to them at the Sea of Galilee. And they're there eating this fish after feasting all night and catching nothing. But then Jesus telling him, put your nets on the other side and they did. And they caught the fish and they came in and early that morning they were having breakfast together. Jesus and his disciples and Jesus made the bread and Jesus fixed the fish. It had to be good. Come on. And there they are. And they had to be hungry. They're eating away and Jesus said, Simon, while all eyes turned right to their spokesman, son of Barjonas, lovest thou me more than these? The failure said, 
Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Feed my lambs. He asked him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, well, feed my sheep. And he asked him the third time, Simon, lovest thou me? Simon the third time is the trouble and said, is disturbed and troubled. And he says, yea, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what is he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's trimming the wick of Peter's life. He's cleaning him up. He's going to make him shine again. And if you're reading in the end of John when this is taking place, just turn a few pages and you'll read about him in Acts. He's shining all right. He's a different man. You know how he became a different man? Failure though he was, it's said of Jesus, a smoking flax, he will not quench. It's not his business to snuff out lives. It's his business to restore lives. And there are people sitting in this room right now, and you're saying, I remember when I received Jesus, what a difference he made in my life. Others are saying, I remember what a bruised reed I was, and Jesus made all the difference in my life. And others of us that have been saved a while can remember times in our life when we were nothing more but than a smoking flax. But when we came back to Jesus, he cleaned us up and let us serve him again and let the light shine. That's him. That's Jesus. Look at me. If you don't want him, he won't make you trust him. But if you receive him, he will make a difference for time and eternity. He will. I have so much baggage. I've had so much damage. I've had so much hurt. He doesn't exist to break bruised reeds, but to restore bruised reeds. And he won't snuff out the flickering little light. He'll make it shine again. Lord, in this room there could be people that are hearing some again, some perhaps for the first time, of their need of Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm convinced that through preaching you meant for them to hear your voice crying to them. If you thirst, come unto me and drink. Come unto me, all ye that labored are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I have no doubt there could be some in this room right now that have never been saved. They've never received Jesus to be their Savior. They've never called upon the Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life, so that they might have eternal life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No matter what they think of you, they've never come to you if they haven't come through Jesus, your Son. And maybe there's somebody in this room that this very morning, they're, they're, at, a sort of a, they're at sort of a defining moment. I've got to do something about this. I either reject the revelation of who Jesus is or I receive Jesus. And I know your Holy Spirit and the testimony in your word of your Holy Spirit that His work is to persuade and convince and convict that person that is without Jesus of their need of the Son of God. And I pray that you'd be at work right now convincing that unbelieving person. Don't reject. Don't reject. Don't refuse Him. 
believe him. And I pray they would even let us take the Bible today and show them further. Very, very clearly what it means to trust Jesus as their Savior. And there may be some those that identify with those bruised reeds. And their life has so much damage to it already. And they wonder what good would it do to come to Jesus. But oh, your word clearly says, I'm not in the business of breaking bruised reeds. Jesus, you're in the business of healing, restoring, binding up that bruised reed and making them able to stand in you. And same with the same with the smoking flax that's about to go out. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work. And might we see believers restored into fellowship with you. And might we see unbelievers willing to say, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. May your Holy Spirit do your work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Before we have a verse of invitation, let me, let me just say this. If you're here today and you say, I'm not, I've not received Jesus. I, I'm not a Christian. I've not been a, become a believer. I want to. I don't want to say, no, no, stay out of my life, stay away. I just don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. All right, we give an invitation, which is simply this. It simply means we invite you just to step forward. Pastor will greet you. I'll be right here. Someone will be here to greet you. And then all you have to do is say, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. And some, sir, some man will take the Bible and show you how to be saved. And they'll help you. We're not just going to say, all right, here's a list of Baptist rules. That's not what this is about. Huh? We'll take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Ma'am, some lady will have her Bible and take you and show you how to be saved.